going on y'all this is your girl tanisha people's live and in color black and proud as hell from the people's voice pod um today we are back again with um, my brothers jason allen and nehemiah frank we had a conversation last week around um graduation and the importance of it in the black community and also um the impact of reopening schools um on black and brown communities and um just to kick us off today, I was originally scheduled to have a conversation with um, Nakima Levy Armstrong and Zach Wright around supporting special needs students during COVID. And um, that conversation kind of got derailed because of the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. And um, Nakima being just the badass activist that she is answered the call and she was on the front line of the protest. Um, but obviously, you know, from the looks of our timelines and people are outraged, we fucking tired, we're over it. Um, and we, this is something that we need to talk about because um, in 2020, we are still strange fruit. We have yep. black people still being lynched. And um, I know what it's like to live in fear as a black woman. And I want to kick the conversation off with, with you guys because Black men in America are feared and you guys are becoming almost an endangered species because of being murdered, being lynched by white people who are afraid of us. So I wanted to, you know, kick the conversation off and get y'all perspectives on these murders, these lynchings overall and how it feels to be a black man in America right now. It is definitely a very, um, confusing time for a lot of people, you know, as an educator and, you know, having a caseload of young African-American boys who have been identified as having special needs. Um, it's disheartening to know that we have taught them to do the right thing, to speak out against injustice, to, you know, study to show thyself approved. And it's almost as if no matter what you do, whether if you have on a suit, a briefcase, if you have a family, um, if you're doing everything by the quote unquote book of righteousness or whatever that may look like for the uh, model American citizen, you still can get shot and killed in the street and be in, in front of hundreds of people um, with no regard for life. And so it's very discouraging. Um, but in the same breath, it's also empowering because I feel like more people are crying out for change. And what are we going to do beyond crying out and marching in the street? And, you know, for those who have the urge to riot, what are we going to do to really hold America accountable? Because this is a morality issue. Um, and, you know, in my point of view, America has always had a morality issue. Let's go all the way back to the Native Americans and our own ancestors that were brought here. So there was a moral issue then, and that has continued to right now. So that is, that's what I would say. Morality coupled with greed. <laughs> well, um, 
where am I at today? I broke down at 10, 17 p.m. last night mm-hmm. and I was bawling like a, like a, like an infant. Just bawling because I, I, I held it in the entire day yesterday. I'm like, okay, another black man has been murdered. You still have A, B, C, and D to accomplish. You don't have time to deal with this trauma right now. You're just gonna have to bottle this up and you're gonna have to pack it away until it's time to pull it out and deal with it. Mm -hmm. So when my day was finally over at the end, like, man, I just broke down. Yeah. And it's the second time. Like last week, I broke down over over what happened here in Oklahoma yeah. about, about a guy getting uh, the police called on him from Napoleon, right? So I'm just, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. White people's responsibility to fix. And that's where I'm at. I'm tired of us having to do all the marching. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of them them putting together oh we're, we're we're gonna have a listening session so we can see where the police went wrong but the fucking video camera was showing the whole time so you clearly don't you have all the evidence you need we don't need another fucking listening session yeah i'm tired of the racial bias trainings i'm tired of oh we need to get some more damn data we don't need any more data from the damn schools we don't need any data from the from the health from the health uh the health community, we don't need any research on that. We have all the research that says that black people are disproportionately affected in every damn category in this country. Right. That's right. And right. so it's white people's responsibility to fix this damn system because they this is the system that they've designed. We help them build it, but they're in charge. So they need to they need to dismantle the system. Let me let me let me ask you what you mean by we helped them build it. Because I we we definitely built this country. Right. But we didn't help them build a system of oppression and racism. Right. What do you mean by that? I think that you defined that part perfectly. As far mm-hmm. as building this country, we helped them build this country. We cleared the land. We did all of that. But as far as the oppressive system itself, they built that. And they need to dismantle that. Yeah. I, I would add to that, though, that of course, we didn't help them build it. However, there are some people that look like us that have helped them to maintain it. And that is a huge issue that, quite honestly, the Black community doesn't want to talk about it. We get in an uproar about, you know, situations that happen like this, but then we'll turn our face on Black-on-Black crime. We'll turn our face on Black women being abused by Black men who don't have enough self-confidence to be a man but have to take their frustrations out on a woman. We don't want to talk about the real issues of the black church and the role that the black church plays in a lot of this. So I could go on and on about the taboo topics within our own black community. But even though there are white citizens whose ancestors helped to build this system, they use people who look like us to kill Martin, to kill Malcolm, to kill so many other people that have tried to disclose and bring out these injustices and the need to change and so the conversation now is what the fuck are black people going to do are we going to hold these people accountable are we going to say listen white american citizens that are moving into urban cities chicago that are moving into downtown areas atlanta and nashville and any other major city where there are large dominant black African-American mixed race communities, you all are coming back into the communities where we are. 
So why is that? If you're gonna move into the community and have black neighbors, but yet be silent on social media or be silent in the workplace, but then you, just like the black person that turns their head, they silence their lips when they see something that they don't like in our communities, all of us are playing a role and you have to determine at this point, choose you this day, what side are you gonna be on? Are you gonna be for justice or injustice? And that's where we are. Well, Jason, let me ask you this, because um, when we talk about white people being allies, you know, it's like, at what point can, are we really expecting white people to relinquish their privilege for our freedom? Is that a real expectation? Um, can we, and one of the questions that, a larger question that I have is, the way that we're treated in this country, does America even really belong to us? You know, it's like, we're born here, we're African Americans, we're black, but the way that we're treated in this country, we don't have equal rights. We don't right. have freedoms that, you know, white people enjoy. So does this country even belong to us? And if, if it does, then how do we, how do we claim those freedoms that are guaranteed by the constitution? How do we, how do we get that? So I, I do want to answer the answer the political question of does this country even belong to, to us so a few years ago i read this dissertation um about the education of the negro in oklahoma so that's where i'm from if, wherever you are in the country look, listening to this and in this guy's dissertation he said well the negro is no longer a problem in oklahoma because the negro the, the negro has no political control mm -hmm. All right. And let me tell you, when I when I read that shit, I paused. I felt that in my soul because I was like, well, damn, that's that's probably all I need to read from this dissertation. <laughs> and it was a quote from someone that had spoke at the state legislature here in Oklahoma. And that was decades ago that he had said that. Before, before Jim Crow had fallen, he had made that statement. The Negro has no political power in this state. Therefore, he is no longer right. a problem. Mm -hmm. And so after that, I was like, well, that's why the damn schools is messed up. That's why Black people are disproportionately incarcerated in the, the number one incarcerated state in America, which is the number one incarcerated state in the world. Mm -hmm. Like... I don't, I don't like, and, and so I, I want to keep hope alive. I want to, but white people need to, they gonna have to fight each other all over again at this point in time, because we didn't got ourselves educated. We we're we have voted. <laughs> we, we, we ran for, for school boards and city councils and all of that, you know, but it's going to take other white people to, to, they gonna have to fight themselves in order for us to, to live peacefully. That's where I'm at. Cause I feel like I'm out, I'm out of ideas. That, Neo, that goes back to my question. Are Ooh. they gonna, are they gonna relinquish their privilege for our freedom? I think that's a, it's a complicated question. You know, I would have to ask myself if I was in that position, would I give up my inheritance? Would I give up, you know, my right there, if I'm walking down the street, people are gonna smile at me and you know not think twice about, oh, are they coming to steal something from me? Oh, are they coming to rape me? Oh, are they coming to do this? Oh, are they coming to do, to do that? It doesn't matter what a black, brown, mixed race, anyone that is not 
Caucasian or white American does in America. It just, at this point, it doesn't matter how saved you are, how educated you are, how well-spoken you are, how in the know you are, how connected you are. And so now, you know, we're seeing people that are, you know, in the ghettos and in middle-class communities and in gated communities, you know, saying that this is a problem. What are we going to do? And so, you know, I want to switch to solutions. We have to invest more. You know, when I look at, you know, the two of you all and colleagues such as Dr. Danielle Stewart and, you know, Tanya Winters Buford and, you know, Dr. Tony Burks, who are out here advocating in communities and making change, even our own fellow, you know, advocates and activists that are doing the work, how many people in our communities are actually supporting us? But we'll go out to Greenbrier Mall and stand in the line in the goddamn rain for two hours when our children ain't had no food at home. Mama is saying she need medicine. We ain't even went to check on her, but we at the mall waiting to get shoes. Mm. Right. So we have to get our priorities in order. We can't in one instance say, woe is me, the black man and the black community and the black race. And then on the other hand, we are doing what? So I want to build in our own. I, I, I do want to pop in on this real quick and push back a little bit. And the reason why I want to push back a little bit, because I want to give none of these white folks a damn chance to say, well, y'all need to focus on y'all own damn problems in y'all own community. Because the reason why <laughs> we have all of this other shit going on is still because of them. It's a domino effect. White supremacy is endless. The domino effect is endless. The reason why six out of the seven of my uncles have been incarcerated is because of white supremacy. The reason why their brother was, was choked the hell out over what a cold cut sandwich and a bounce check or something like that. Like, yeah. give me a break. That's true. And I feel like they're gonna make an excuse for anything. That's just people. You know, I often ask my I often ask myself this question and then I ponder it to God. Like you gave us free will, but people lack common sense and common yeah. decency. So what good is free will if people are gonna turn the other way and people are gonna choose not to do the right thing. So people are gonna choose to do what they want to do whether it's right or wrong regardless and so we have to continue to put out better solutions better outcomes better ways to get things done and again encouraging the black dollar we have to get back to investing in the black community like nipsey hustle pj morton has a song that says buy black uh, buy back the block i was teaching that song to my students this school year and i challenged these young men to go out to make a global impact how are you going to start to do that you start doing that in your own community you need some money you have elderly citizens that look like us in your community go and take out their trash go and cut their grass go and do things where you can make an earnest dollar and then save some of that aside i'm not telling them don't go out and buy your jordans don't go out and buy the video games but you need to have something aside so you can have something set aside to invest to save and to make some moves to buy back our communities. And so that's what I would, you know, encourage people in this moment of outcry, in this moment of rage to look at what you're investing in. We still have to make noise. We still have to let white America know we're not backing down. We are not, you know, what you may think that we are. Now, I love Dr. King and I am all about nonviolence because I would not, you know, promote going out and slap somebody. But I will say this, if I'm walking my dog down the street and caring to anybody else who didn't grow up in my community has a problem, I'm gonna let them know. 
from A to Z that, hey, this is what's going to happen and more people need to be empowered to do that. You want to call the police? I'm going to call the police too. I'm going to record you too. You want to step across this line of, baby, my daddy taught me not to hit a woman, but you come across this line and see what happens. <laughs> right, young man? You come across here and see what happens. And I'm just being honest because that's where I am. We have to get to a place where we just cannot tolerate this foolishness any longer. Right. I'm, I'm... Let me let me let me jump in real quick because I have I have two points that I want to touch on. The first point is is going back to the privilege piece, and um, we're talking about we're just going back to the privilege piece. Period. So earlier in the conversation, um, I think both of you kind of made comments around white people have to do this, and history has shown that white people ain't gonna do shit. You know, and so with that, just as Erica Brown said in the comments, we can't expect them. We, I think we become comfortable in thinking that, again, white people are going to take these shots for us and they're going to, like I've been saying, relinquish their privilege. They're not. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's up to us to, to reclaim our power, number one. Number two, um, Jason, in terms of really um, restructuring and re, just building, rebuilding our communities, that starts with education. Yep. You know, when we talk about, the thing is, is that when we talk about oppressive systems, it's, it's widespread and, and, and public school is an oppressive system. It's a system that's teaching our kids to be complacent in, the, in oppression and in racism. So they're not gonna give them the tools to be successful, to be empowered or independent or build communities or be leaders, there is not gonna happen. And so when we're talking about investing in our communities, how can kids, how can our students do that when they're not even learning about finances? They're not learning about budgeting. They're not learning about investing. They're not learning. That's, that's good. And so those are those conversations that we have when we're talking about, when we're talking about curricula that is um, engaging and curricula that actually matters to building um, a successful life and it's not happening. And so those are conversations that when we're talking about solutions and, um, you know, when we're, yeah, when we're talking about solutions, those are conversations that we need to have dismantling systems that keep us in an oppressed place to allow our students to be, to be um, free thinkers and to be mm -hmm. leaders and to be builders. And so we have to start there. You know, all of us are education advocates and those are conversations that we need to be having. I'm not, I'm not a trained educator in the classroom, but I know that if I was teaching a class or if I was teaching students, there are things that they need to learn to be successful adults, things that I'm learning now that I didn't know when I was in high school that I have to learn, I have to learn by doing and honestly stumbling and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. So, so I, some of my thoughts. I got you. So I want to talk about, let's talk about the classroom since we didn't move that direction. Of course, we all teachers and advocates and stuff. So let's, let's move to the classroom because I remember when um, Terrence Crutcher was shot, how my black kids acted the next day. Mm -hmm. Frank, did you see what happened on the news? I'm like, oh, I got to explain this to these babies. You know, and then so let me tell you, that wasn't even a that that was a horrible day, horrible day. But the next horrible day came at the end of the school year, after this police officer, white woman, got away with murder. I walk into my, I walk into the school, and you know my school is very unapologetically black. Walk into the school, and it's just utter silence, because this woman has gotten away with murder. 
even the kids, you could see the sadness on everybody, but you can see it on the kids. So our black babies are internalizing this shit. Right. Without even a conversation. It really does. You know, it has an impact on them. When I get into the classroom, um, it was just such an eerie day. Just such an eerie day. And so are white teachers even going to understand how to let a black child vent in the damn classroom when some shit like that goes down? We don't even have a, enough mental health professionals to deal with what's going on now with COVID-19. Yeah. Like yeah. we are in a crisis. We are. But we are always in a crisis. This just adds to the level of stress and anxiety and, you know, the mental pressure that is put on black Americans in this country when we talk about public education you know again we too play a role in this you know i always you know challenge parents you were so against you know independent schools and charter schools right. and you know schools that are not you know in the traditional system well, and we it's almost like why are we opposed to our own people creating schools that are actually using, this is the kicker, right. that are using <laughs> curriculums that are designed by people who look like us, that are culturally responsive, that do include social emotional learning so that we can really help to heal these children because that's the issue. We don't want to talk about healing in education, but if my grandmother was failed by the public education system and then all her children were failed and now I am the product of these people failed by a public education system, you think my mom and daddy coming up here for a goddamn parent-teacher conference when the school didn't know how to talk to them then and then when they come up here, we want to judge them for having on pajamas. Well, baby, my water was cut off and I really didn't have time to wash clothes and I'm not right. trying to make excuses about the mentality. I'm just presenting a different picture because too often even people who look like us we turn up our nose we look like uh, I don't want to be seen around the people that look real ghetto and real niggerish we we don't want to be around that but those are the people that need us the most because they also have a story to tell but they don't get their stories told not in public um schools I can tell you this year I had sixth grade boys that had never ever had a teacher that told them you can make it, that you can be successful. Now they have been called dumb. They have been called stupid. Oh, look at you with all these deficiencies. You never gonna make it. Please, I had kids that finished the curriculum when general ed kids didn't even finish it. It was because they needed to be empowered. And I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears to this. They were empowered by a black brother that was teaching them. Now mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia, we have over 250 black male teachers that have been in the classroom longer than five years being pushed out because we know that systematically when black males come into the public school or even non-traditional public school districts or systems, we are pushed to administration to do what? Handle discipline because they want the black men to handle these black children that they don't understand, that they don't want to be involved with, that they really don't want to teach. They just really want them enrolled in their schools so they can get the dollar. And it's about dollars and cents at the end of the day with the public education system or any other system in America regarding black and brown people. Now, hold on, because Jason, you be switching gears on me real quick. I don't even have a chance to address like you, you be dropping some stuff that I want to, you know, I want to touch on. But you be you be on it like with the next um, topic of conversation. But going back to um, going back to how we treat each other as as a people in a community, we really have to. I'm not making excuses for people, but we cannot 
disregard the effects of slavery. Yes. We cannot. We are still, we are still mentally like that brainwashing factor in that that was perpetuated on plantations, that plantation mentality that this person, this black man and this black woman next to you is not your brother. I'm your master. Believe in me. This is your Bible. And the Bible says that you are supposed to be my slave. That stuff has transcended time. And it still shapes our mentality. And that's why we may respond and react to each other the way that we do. But it's, it's all intentional. It's all intentional. Now I will give, I'll give white people credit. They did that shit. They got us right where they want us. And so that's why when we talk about, when we, when we touched last week on unlearning, that unlearning piece is important because we literally have to break away from the master. We have to break away from the plantation again to be the free people and the empowered people that we've always been. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, they don't trust, they don't trust a school open by, you know, another black person because this white supremacist system has told them that this is what's best for your child. These bureaucracies have told you that this is what's best for your child and not to trust that other black person. And so we have to take that into consideration. We can't just jump up and organize and mobilize without people really internalizing the the trauma that was then and the trauma that has been piled on now. That's so true. It also goes back to the power of the dollar. Like they know that we can be bought and I'm not, you know, trying to downgrade us in any way, but there is a truth to that. Because when I look at gentrification and I look at how white couples can come into lower income communities and say, hey, I'll give you $30,000 for your house, um, you know, because they've already done their research. They already know that you're struggling. They already know that you have, you know, bills that are piled up because of health issues that you have because of the injustice in the healthcare system. They already know that these things are piled up. When I've talked to neighbors or former neighbors in my community, they run through, oh, well, these are the things that they say and it's so, you know, it seems so, you know, good for us because I could really use this money to get out of debt and then I could be in a safe community, a safe community away from people that look like you. So you would rather be in a community where people will see you trying to just simply walk down the street and be like, oh, I might need target practice today because that is the reality. That is what happens. It's kind of like, it's a game. It's, it, I don't know if it's monopoly or whatever we want to reference it to, but they know how to get us where we need to be. Even going back to the public schools, we will take money for independent charter or even public traditional schools because we know we need the money to make things happen in the schools for children, but at the cost of that, what what comes? It's like, good. are we gonna forsake having a black school leader? Are we gonna forsake having black male teachers? Are we gonna forsake having black leaders in yeah. the school? Are we gonna forsake empowering black parents who need our help the most? So everything com- comes at a cost and we have to count up the cost. Yep. What yep. is this gonna cost in order for us to get out of this? Yep, agreed. Mm-hmm. Neo, do you have something to say? You look deep in thought over there. No, I'm just thinking, I think he's right. Everything that he's saying is right. Like, and so a lot of white folks, they don't even understand that we have to work within the system. Mm-hmm. We literally mm-hmm. have to work within the system in order to, to, to raise our families and, and, and get what we need. But at, the, at what detriment does that come to? Does that right. come to the fact that we're paying taxes and we have a whole bunch of people that are still getting their ass beat by the police and still getting incarcerated? 
the taxes still going to these to the schools that are failing our kids. You know, it's just ridiculous. It's just, oh, God. You know, I also ask myself, where awesome. is our national coalition at? Like, okay, yeah, we have the NAACP, but they're not the only organization that is working to drive change. Like, these leaders need to be on Zoom calls. They have to also do the work because we need them to be strategizing to help us who are on the ground doing the work reaching the masses because there are people, to be quite honest, they are oblivious to and what's was, happening. They see it, but they're like, it's not directly happening to me or my cousin. I want the white folks that are listening to this call right now, because I'm talking to y'all, okay? <laughs> I do not, look, when it comes to the NAACP, not every black person agrees with all of their policy agendas. So I just want to make sure that's that's clear. So if some shit come up in the future and y'all decide that, oh, well, the NAACP is doing this. No, we right. <laughs> don't all agree with all of the policies because some of them are bought as well. Yep, it's and a systematic approach. Look, it look, is. We they we had this they had this conversation last week. Um, Chris Stewart and Sharif El Mekki around the black bourgeoisie, you know. And so when we when we talk about the people that are bought and sold, you know, for agendas that continue to oppress us, we have to look. And so that's why it's like. When you said those leaders, you know, those well-known leaders, those grass top leaders need to be on Zoom calls. They are on Zoom calls, but they're on Zoom calls talking about how to maintain the status quo because they've been bought and sold. Right, and so the change is going to come at the grassroots level, not up there, because realistically, if we had, and again, we're talking about skin folk that ain't kin folk, if we had adequate representation in political offices, then we wouldn't be in the positions that we've been in. We wouldn't. And so that, that again goes back to being solutions-based and really mobilizing to have the conversations around who we elect as leaders to represent us in various offices. It, it so is real. That's something I want to highlight. That's real. And I, I even think about the tweet that Ice Cube, you know, put out and was like, we need to hold the black vote. And in my mind, I was like, now, wait a minute, brother. Like, where were you with all these other issues where you could have lended your voice to the millions of people that follow you and that's the message that you would send out as someone who is an actor, an entertainer that, you know, has definitely been in the rap game. So you know that you reach a certain population and your message would be that we need to hold the black vote. Don't go out and vote. And my mind is so how many million dollar, multi-million dollar movies did they offer you? to make this one statement because his one statement is going to make an impact on a certain population or demographic of people who look like us. And so again, it goes back to the statement I made earlier about the control of the black dollar. We are so willing to give our money away to people that do not have the best interests of our community at heart. And we're not supporting local small businesses. We're not supporting small business owners who are donating to the schools. They are small business owners that are doing more for schools than black millionaires and billionaires and those who have influence and power. And so again, we have to support our community. We have to buy back the block. We have to build. It's time to build. We've got to build. And so let me let me ask y'all this. One of the comments from um, Bill Hornbuckle says, sad to say, until we view each other as one black race collectively, we will continue to struggle. So how do we build community amongst each other to, you know, Jason, you as you said, build these 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 strongholds um, that we need to thrive in? How do we where do we start with that? I think it starts with what we, you know, enjoy doing on our platforms, which is writing. 
um, mm-hmm. and telling stories. We have to tell our stories. You know, a lot of black people, you know, felt some type of way about the TV sitcom Mixedish. And I was like, well, I see where they're going with this because the reality is there are mixed race people who are not given white privilege. They are considered black, even though they're mixed race. And so we have to even, we have to address the issue of colorism within our community. We have to address the issue of the black church, which is led by the black Christians for our community, but overlooking the influence and the power of black Muslims or even black spiritualists. Like, you know, everyone isn't in the Baptist or Pentecostal or Kojic, you know, churches that identify as Christian. We have other black people that worship in different ways, but they are often shunned and looked down upon. So how are we even embracing them? Those again are people who are helping to build the collective that are helping to build our communities. And so, you know, that's what I wanted to highlight. Like we have complex issues in our community. It's not impossible to do it, but we have to start by sharing our stories to see that everyone isn't a thug. Everyone right. isn't going to get married to Jane or John. You know, John and John may get married. Yeah. And how are we going to embrace them in the community? And we I won't even bring up that subject because if black grandmothers or black Christians are listening, they probably done fell out on the floor because again, the taboo conversations in our communities that we do not want to have. Right. So I got to pop on up in here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it comes back, like for me, it comes back down to education. Yes. It comes down to making sure that your black kids are going to be educated holistically. Mm-hmm. And we talk about giving them empowering mm-hmm. shit that is before colonialism. That's where we got to start because we got to make sure our kids are mentally healthy. The second thing is white people need to deal with their kids. They need to teach their kids compassion. They cannot be afraid to teach about this nation's original sin, institutional slavery, black codes, Jim Crow laws, how that's folding into mass incarceration. We have to teach them that because they have to be able to develop empathy for black people because right now they're not, they don't. That's the reason why that man that killed George two days ago did it casually. He yes. casually killed that brother. Yes. The damn police officer's hand was in his pocket. Yes. That goes to show that he wasn't even struggling with the police officer. Yes. The other police officer was just kind of casually looking around as that man told him that he couldn't breathe. And then he screamed for his mom and took his last breaths. Ridiculous. It is. That, it is that type sad. of cultural behavior, that shit comes from the that that shit comes from not being raised right. It comes from not educating white children about about um, other people's narratives. It, they are educating them. They're educating them. I could share this story about a year and a half ago in the public school system in, in Metro Atlanta. And I doing a lesson, you know, my co-teacher and I doing a lesson on real issues happening. This is the actual, the lesson was on the Pledge of Allegiance. Lord have mercy. I, I, I told my students, I'm not forcing you to do anything because the reality is I don't, I can't even tell you the last time that I've said, recited, or even looked at the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't require my students to do it because why am I pledging allegiance when I could walk right out of this classroom and the school police officer can think that I'm not even a teacher here and say, oh my God, we got an emergency, bam. I mean, we don't know because that's what they're trained to do. 
we had an incident in the classroom where one of the white students got so upset about the Hispanic and the mixed race and the black students speaking out about why they felt indifferent about saying the pledge and the importance of taking a knee. So much that this kid started going off and saying that I hope y'all sisters get raped and black women are bitches and you ain't nothing but this and you need to go back here and actually attack this young lady at her locker. He actually picked up a book, hit her and tried to slam her repeatedly into the locker. And what happened to him? He got removed from the school, but his father was a police officer in the county. So you know what happened three months later? He came right back. And let me tell you where he didn't come back. He didn't come back to my classroom because it, every bit of Wakanda and me was like, no, this ain't gonna happen. Now he may can come back to this school, that's fine, but he can't come around me because the reality is we'll put black boys out of school for standing up and not sitting at a goddamn desk. And this child has basically called us niggas Hoes, bitches, I hope you die. Hit this child with a book, slammed her in the locker, and three months later came back and just, hi, waving. Hey, how are you? And black kids, because I don't want to sit down or because I need to go to the restroom and you won't let me out, get put out of school, and that's it for them. So right. you know, white parents school are school educating them too. The school shooters. Those are the next school shooters. The ones yeah. that get away with those behaviors early on. Right. And they, you know, they, they're, they, in their minds, they're victims. Right. And so because they're victims, they go and shoot up shit. They're victims because their parents are educating them and telling them that, oh, well, you know, they're outraged because, you know, they're just angry. That's why you see them in the street. They're angry. Look at what the media does, the media bias. When an innocent black man or black woman or brown or whatever, anyone that's non-white gets killed, what do they do? They try to find any story to villainize them because they know that white parents are going to say, well, look, yeah, they did get killed. However, look at them. They had already been arrested and yeah, they had yeah. done this and they had smoked a cigarette. You are doing goddamn pills and, and chemicals and got not, whatever else you want to do. Right. And this person got killed for having a motherfucking cigarette. Lord have mercy. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So they, did it with, they did it with Amal Aubrey. You know, when they came, they came with that footage of him roaming that construction site. It's like they tried right. to make him look like a thug. But they did like, show the no. video of all the white people that perused the, the same yes. goddamn house. Yes. They didn't show those videos to prove the point that, well, other people, you know, were in the house too. That brother just walked in there. We all saw the video. He walked, he stared around. Now, some people did start posting, you know, other videos. Yeah, we were, you know, we live over here too. And as we were walking, like, we just see people over there. Like, people have been commenting on Twitter, like, yeah, that's what people do. Like, they're building this in our community. We're just coming through and we're looking. But it's wrong when we do it. So that is the narrative. They create that narrative. It doesn't matter what you do you do like this you can do like this i mean you could be like this and they still are going to find yeah, a reason like to attack and kill right sleeping in your bed like like poor brianna taylor so like i mean what we are saying is that white people need to deal with okay. their they need to deal with themselves like they need to straight up <laughs> They they need they need well, to are they i mean i keep I'm, I'm like trying to play devil's advocate here like are they are they? But they there are some. There are. I will. I will. And I know people are like, "Oh, he's such a Black Panther," and you know, yeah. hey, what kind of favor? But there are some white people that are working to do the right thing. I know them, and I mean, I I, I know people that are actually in communities that are really doing the work. But there are a lot of them who are talking a good game, but right. then going back home, and then it's something totally different because. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to that influence. It goes back to who are your parents? 
And yeah. what do your parents believe? And if you know that, well, my mom and dad are in, you know, the trenches of South Carolina where you can just casually walk through and maybe see something hanging from a tree that looks like a black person and who's gonna call the police or say anything. But I live in DC where I'm in the streets and I'm going to the parties with people because see, they don't see that. They see right. you when you come home and it's like, oh yeah, daddy, you know, how much money do you need me to give to help you with this initiative? So you're actually still helping them do their work but then in our faces partying with us and you know Rihanna said it best you want to be in our space you want to party with us you want to lay with us you want to do anything else with us then you need to lift your voice to you know speak out against these injustices too yeah make it so social media post public how about that right <laughs> let's let's talk about that to me sounded like the audacity of bravery you know and what that means is for white people being brave enough to free themselves from racism and for black people being audacious enough to free themselves from mental enslavement. Right. So what does that, what does that mean to y'all? What does that look like? How, do, how does one free themselves from these, these, these mentalities, these mentalities that have had us stuck? Are we talking you know, about that's a good question. Go ahead, Neo. Are we talking about like black people freeing themselves? Or we talking about because we've had conversations about how white people need to evolve their thinking and their actions in order to, you know, embrace black people and be more compassionate. And we've also talked about how black people need to again unlearn some things. We need to break from um, these oppressive mindsets and systems to empower ourselves. So how does that happen? Well, I think it starts with what oppresses us. You know, when I look at the black community, if I could be quite honest, you know, I'm the trustee chair of my church and I know if they watching, oh well, but this is me. The reality is a lot of black people are oppressed by the Bible because we want to hold people in judgment, the audacity. We were enslaved, we were slaves and then you want to tell me how I should be living and what I should be doing and how it should be when this was a book used to oppress us. And we're not even using the things such as character building that we should, you know, that is one of the issues that I have when we talk about the work of, again, the public schools and what teachers are doing on a daily basis. We're teaching life skills. We're teaching character building because these children are not connected to churches. The masses of these children are not connected to churches. When I was growing up, I went to vacation Bible schools and they taught you the be attitudes and how to be kind and it was reinforced at home where those things aren't being reinforced. And so we have a battle in our community of an oppressive mindset that if I just pray it away, it's going to go away. If I just, you know, trust God, how many of these brothers and these sisters that were slain and killed in the street were like, God help me. And they were waiting. We have to actually take action. You can't just sit back and be like, oh Lord, I prayed about it and it's gonna change. We have to be willing to change our mindset. And it first begins with us not trying to be Jesus Jr. and trying to be God by ourselves. We have to have the power within ourselves to say, hey, this is who I am. You don't like me? Well, shit, I don't give a fuck. I ain't sleeping with you. You're not right. paying my bills. You're not in my household. And so yeah. when black people get the power to do that, then we can start to embrace the differences within our own community so that other people can say, oh yeah, black lives matter. Yeah, motherfucker, black lives do matter. All of us matter. Even my cousin that, you know, was born Adrian, 
but you know, now it's Jessica. We have to be able to accept all differences and we don't want to have those conversations. So empowerment, free in our minds, telling our stories. We want to talk about we so real. Let's be real about what's really happening in our household. And let's be real about our characters. Then mm. that's when we're going to start having some real conversations. But everybody want to be so real. It's just all these goddamn real people out here, but we ain't hearing no stories of change. We hear these stories of change coming from people, sister, that you just said, they have freed their minds. You have to free your mind and understand that you don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. Because the reality is when I close my eyes on this side, my dream is I'm going to be walking down the, the bridgeway and the slaves and the ancestors, and they're going to be waiting on me. That's what I want to see. I don't know what everybody's reality is going to be, but that's what my hope is because I'm going by a heaven that has been taught to us in a book that we couldn't even goddamn read. We don't even know how many editions of the Bible there are. White people may be reading edition three, and we got edition 194. So we don't know. We're going by hope. And we need to put our hope on what we can truly benefit from. That's good. And so you said something real powerful about freeing the mind, right? Yeah. And so, and, and, and then you brought up reading. Like, that's where the liberation comes from. Like, we have to, first of all, be literate to even be able to get to that, to get to that, that space of, of mental liberation and unlearning the internalized racism that we've taken on. That's right. Um, I mean, our, we can't even get our kids there unless unless they can read. So and that's true. And the literacy rate in America, how low is it? Like Neo pointed out early on, our black children, specifically our black boys, rank highest in every deficiency area. Even when you look at gifted and talented programs, they are the lowest. They have the lowest numbers, suspension rates, the highest, not graduating, the highest literacy lexile scores the lowest like what are we doing to reach our children and empowering their minds it, we have to help do that i mean can we just can we just acknowledge that this is you know this is enslavement all over again you know where um back in those times if you were um a slave and you were found learning how to read you were killed or right. you were mutilated in some way um, the school to prison pipeline feeding our kids into a prison system for free labor or cheap labor. That's slavery. It's still you know? happening. So when you when you think about we just have to think about those things and it's about again, how do we how do we free ourselves? So it goes back to that conversation of free and free and that's and that freedom exists in our minds. So I yeah, Jason, I like that was a word. That was a word. Um because freedom isn't easy. It don't come cheap. It's not like, you know, it's hard because we have to also remember that people go by what they have been exposed to. Parents are very important teachers. We learn, you know, in our younger states, we learn from the people that we're around. We learn from our environments. We learn from what the people that we love who are around us instill in us. That's why you have the issue of molestation and rape in our households because uncles and them have been touching on, well, and some aunties too, have been touching on and taking advantage of our children when nobody is around because of issues that happen to them, but we don't want to address that. So that has changed the mindset of children. If you never see anybody read in your household and no one has ever read, read to you, then you're not gonna be so enthusiastic to say, oh, let me pick up a book. Let me read something. 
Like, if you don't see that, if you're not exposed to that, so what are we exposing our children to? That is a big question. What are we exposing children to when they're not in the classroom? Well, let me let me um, let me uh, switch gears for a second and bring it back to uh, our foundation, which was the lynching and murder of a of a black man, and um, the comment is gone. I don't see. Oh no. So we so we had a. I, I think there was a, a kind of a conversation going back and forth between between Bill and uh, Brandon Tomlin, and Brandon said that. Not everyone is built to be an activist or martyr. Let's not lose sight of the fact that it takes some amount of courage to record the injustices that we do happen to see. So I want to I want to touch on that for a second and um, also talk about the freedom aspect because um, again, this ain't living where any one of us can walk outside our houses and you know be murdered, be lynched by police or by some white person and they get off. And so when we talk about what needs to happen to attain that freedom so we won't be the, the next um, Breonna Taylor, we won't be the next George Floyd, we won't be the next Amon Aubrey. And what what needs to happen from us to attain that freedom? Does it is, is it enough for us to stand by and watch and record so that people can see it? Or do we need to intervene? What needs to happen? I mean, white people need to intervene. <laughs> like, I, I'm just gonna keep going back to them. Mm -hmm. Because we can have all the education in the world and we can be a doctor and, and drive a Bentley and all of this other fine stuff. But until they change their, their, their views about black people, we're always going to be a target. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Neil makes a good point. You know, I was seeing a video on Twitter where there was a, <laughs> and now I've gotten in the habit of calling, you know, white women Karens, but that was what the, the video referred to her as. Uh, but there was a white citizen, you know, a white lady that was in the store. She refused to put on a mask. And it was great to see black women and their husbands and their neighbors who were mixed race and Hispanic and white people saying, no, you got to get out of here because you're putting us all at risk. And she right. was having a fit, but she had a fit on out that door because it was take it took everyone to lift their voice. Okay, can you imagine what the scene would have been if it just had been the married black couples with their children saying, hey, we're unsafe. Can you please leave? You're not following the rules. She would have started throwing things. She would have yeah. called the police. It would have been a whole ordeal. But the fact that everyone stood together and said, no, it doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, what you know, sexuality, whatever sexual preference or whatever, things that we create to divide people. It doesn't matter what you are, you are in the wrong. And so we are standing together to say that you are wrong. And so to Neo's point, it's not just white people, it's all of us. Like we have to stand collectively together because if I was walking down the street and I saw a white kid getting jumped on, I would be like, hey, what y'all doing? Y'all need aid. You know, I would say something, I would do something. But how many times have white citizens walked down the street and seen these atrocities happening and they just skip to the loo, my darling, right on down the street. Just walk right on by. To get snatched out of the car and have, have, have a police officer's neck on him. He must have did something. Right. Right? Yeah. Justify it. Because Justify they're taught that we do, we, that we're criminal. And so, I mean, that, that unlearning has to start. It has to start in the schools. That, that is a way, that's one of the ways. Now, we know those kids can go home and they can get deprogrammed and programmed back to white supremacy like uh, ideals. Um, but one of the ways that public education could fight that 
is through education. Like we just, we, we really need better curriculum. Now I don't know what's going to happen after COVID-19. You know, I don't, I don't know what education looks like after, after COVID, yeah. but in my mind, if, if, I, if like I had, and I know that we have like seven minutes left, uh, but in my mind, if I could imagine what education looks like after COVID-19, it would definitely have, um, we would definitely have some policy changes. Like you would have to teach uh, a black history class it, and it would have to be taught right and thoroughly. Because again, it goes back to our conversation last week. I get it. Schools need to reopen at some point. I get it. Like e-learning may not be sustainable, but our kids cannot go back to schools um, that are unsafe and yep. that have been um, surging But they're already, they're already in schools that are not safe. We're not, yeah. we can't we're even begin to address the bad water issue we, in we public schools. At this point, we can't allow that. Like this is, this is such a time for, this is such a time for advocacy and activism and, re and revolt. Like we cannot allow our kids to go back to the same circumstances. We cannot allow our communities to return to the same circumstances. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, this push is like they want to satisfy and pacify us with, okay, we go reopen the schools, we go pull the desk apart, all this stuff. But it's like our kids are going back to the same bullshit, and that cannot happen. Right, that and then the pre-existing conditions, just like the things that impact people that are, you know, unfortunately catching this virus, they keep highlighting the pre-existing conditions. I did an interview about two weeks ago about what it would take to reopen schools. Well, how are we reopening schools and just like Flint, Michigan, for example, that I was mentioning a few seconds ago, the the water crisis. We led water in communities and in schools. That's happening in Atlanta. That's happening in South Carolina. That's happening where lower income community schools are. So kids are going back to that. So how is that going to impact them? Schools don't even have certified nurses that are in every school right now. So how are they gonna help children? How are you gonna have someone to really say, hey, this is what we need. I'm a teacher. I'm not a nurse. I can't, baby, I can't help you now. If you're not breathing, I'm gonna have to call a nurse or 911. But we don't have those expertise. The scary thing is this: this president and governors like Governor Kemp and other people who think like him, what people are not talking about, they're pushing for more police officers to be in schools because we need to make sure that our children are safe when they get back. And we all know that that's bullshit. Wow. That is a way to, again, further criminalize our children and push them out. There is an agenda that is moving forward and we have to be knowledgeable about that and making sure that the masses are aware that there is something going on. We cannot be claiming that we woke and it's happening right in front of our faces and our mouths are like this. Yeah. So I think I, I just I think that's a good segue into kind of wrapping this conversation up. And um, in the comments, Keith Llewellyn said, "I think it's all all in being consistent with the movement. These people have died for no cause, and our people get mad for a week. And after we're no longer angry, the movement we're no longer angry. The movement, the motivation is disrupted because next because the next issue is presented. And so how do we how do we stop this cycle in which we do have?" Um, well, these cycles in which, you know, we're murdered and really we're being murdered through these systems because all these systems are setting us up for failure. But how do we stop these cycles in which we're outraged and then we go back to normal into the next cycle of outrage? How do we continue to outrage? What are y'all, what are y'all final thoughts? 
So I don't think it's so much of um, like what we do. I think it's, I think it's more of we're we're reaching a boiling point or mm -hmm. a tipping point. And um, and I'd say, for example, if you think about uh, Aubrey was shot mm. right after, uh, and we and we we didn't see the video until just recently, like a few weeks ago, we That's saw this video. So that was trauma mm -hmm. piled on top of more trauma. The brother that was in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, who was crying because you know he was afraid that he was getting ready to get the cops called in, and he didn't know what situation he was gonna meet. Um, trauma piled on top of more trauma. Breonna Taylor is murdered while sleeping. Trauma piled on top of trauma. And this is just a two-week span, right? Um, trauma piled on top of trauma. Uh, Karen calls the cops on, uh, on our brother in New York City and throws a whole fit. Why tears? Just streaming the river, right? Okay. Trauma piled on top of more trauma. We see the death of the public lynching right of another of another brother but not only that he screams for his mother and you know how mothers in our community are well are, are highly revered and really just african black culture and african culture period mm -hmm. highly revered so all of that trauma packed into a small period of time we reach a boiling point and then the next thing you know the, the whole thing explodes and, and, and there's unfortunate riots taking place all across the country. I think that we're at the tip. I don't think that we've we've gone over the edge yet. Cause I say, I say, if 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 one more video comes out within the next week, of of some black person getting shot or killed or strangled or something like that, and they die, I honestly believe all hell gonna break loose in this country. Cause black folks gonna be going crazy everywhere. It's but happening I, everywhere, guys. You know, churches are being burned. That's not making national media. Uh, people are sharing videos about atrocities that are happening in the streets with police brutality. It's not even making the local news. And so that's the even scarier thought that there are so many unnamed people that we don't even know or hear their stories because it's overwhelming. It's too much. And people just feel at such a loss. And so I think my final words would be, you know, reach out to your loved ones, reach out to your neighbors, make sure that people are safe. You know, kindness goes a long way. We don't even talk about kindness. Like it's just simple things like being kind, you know, it's good to mind your own business, but when you see the wrong thing happening, if you see something wrong, you need to say something because that is helping to eliminate the trauma and really allow healing to take place by preventing these things from happening. We should want and have more people who want to prevent these things from happening and silently allowing them to continue. Uh, my, my closing um, point or closing thought, going back to what Neo said around um, this explosion that's coming, the organizer in me and the activist and the advocate in me is um, thinking that before this happens, if there is an, an explosion, I agree there, there is one coming. Like if we have one more murder, one more lynching is coming. Um, but we need to be organized. Yeah. You know? um, and so with that, it's like, how do we make, how do we turn our outrage into productive outrage and organized outrage and um, strategic outrage? And those are the conversations that I've been trying to have consistently because I don't want to see another black man, woman, boy, a girl murdered. 
And if we get ourselves together um, at the grassroots level, we don't have to. That's right. But we have to be smart. We have to be strategic. We have to be organized. We have to act. We right. can't just be reactive all the time when these things happen because they happen too frequently. And as you know, it's it's the truth. It's like like he said, we get upset, um, we protest, and then we go back to our everyday lives, and it happens again. And we can't keep having that because again, right. they living. Um, we are not free. If at any point any black person can walk out and leave their house and be killed by a white person, and nothing happened to them. And so it's time to really shift our thinking from that race riot that people talk about to how we orchestrate a war on injustice. Yeah. So I want to leave agree. And I think for other solutions, you know, people will just have to chime into the next show to see, you know, what's next. Because as we, you know, go on our separate journeys, we'll be collecting our, you know, thoughts and you know ready to put forth you know steps to really build you know i'm still on the platform we have to buy back the block and so how do we get to that you know next step to make sure that we can actually protect you know we need to be protecting our children our seniors our women um those who are disabled those who have mental disabilities we should be sheltering and protecting them um so i'm putting that out in the atmosphere that you know, the spirit of our atmosphere, uh, our ancestors will grab hold to those of us who are grassroots, to our activists, so that we have the strength to do what needs to be done, because we just, we can't. You know, I had a, a, a student pass away this year, and I'm still grieving that when I see these stories of young men who don't get a chance to walk across the stage, it's, it's disheartening, and it's heavy on us, and so I am empowering, encouraging educators and activists and those who are using their voices to continue doing the work, but also take time to heal. Because if we're not healed and in a good space, then that leaves us open to attack. So let's heal, let's do the work, and let's stay connected. Amen, that's, that's the word. So all right, y'all, thank y'all for everybody that tuned in today. Again, with my brothers, Jason Allen, ATL, Nehemiah Frank, and Tulsa. Um, y'all seem to like our conversation, so we'll be back. As Jason said, he kind of, you know, giving y'all a preview. We'll be back with more conversations. But until then, this is your girl, your cousin, Tanisha Peoples on the People's Voice Pod, Black and Proud. As always, we'll catch y'all next time. Peace out and be safe. Wakanda forever.